Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Kevin Hogan. Let's take a look at our top stories. NASA postponed the launch of Artemis 1 moon rocket just before liftoff, citing an engine problem. A second attempt could happen this Friday. A top Republican says former President Trump should have turned in all documents, but he also questions the FBI's raid of Trump's home and if it was about politics. Pennsylvania makes a sudden change to its voter registration form in the middle of the election cycle, and it's reportedly causing confusion for voters. We tell you what they changed and why. NASA called off the launch of the Artemis 1 moon rocket, originally scheduled for this morning. The next launch attempt won't take place until Friday at the earliest. The countdown was halted about 40 minutes before launch time. NASA cited a problem with one of the rocket's main engines as well as a fuel leak. Engineers are now seeking the source of the problem. The rocket's mission was to launch an unmanned crew capsule into orbit around the moon. It's part of a plan to return astronauts to the lunar surface for the first time since the end of the Apollo program 50 years ago. The launch, when it happens, will be the first flight of NASA's 21st century lunar exploration program. From space exploration to the political sphere, a top Senate Republican says that former President Trump should have returned allegedly classified documents that were stored at Mar-a-Lago. NTD's Jessica Beatty reports that the senator also says Congress has questions for investigators. Senator Roy Blunt told ABC News Sunday that Trump should have handed everything over. Though he did not address assertions that Trump had declassified the documents while president. He should have turned the documents over and apparently had turned a number of documents over. Blunt didn't elaborate on why he thinks Trump should have handed over the documents, but he did suggest the FBI raid was politically motivated. What I wonder about is why this could go on for almost two years and less than 100 days before the election. Suddenly we're talking about this rather than the economy. Reports indicate that Trump and the National Archives were negotiating over the documents. Trump and members of his team say the allegedly classified documents that were discovered at his home were previously declassified in an order he made while president. A reporter Friday asked President Biden if Trump could issue such an order as president. Biden appeared to mock Trump's statements. Oh, I've declassified everything in the world. I'm president. I can do it all. Come on. Declassified everything. I'm not going to comment on it because I don't know the detail. I don't even want to know. I'll let the Justice Department take care of it. The Justice Department Friday released a heavily redacted version of the affidavit, the document used to obtain the FBI raid warrant. In it, prosecutors alleged there was probable cause to search Trump's property because of classified national defense and presidential records. But a former FBI intelligence chief says he believes the DOJ has no case against Trump. In an opinion piece published in The Hill Sunday, Kevin Brock made two points. One, the affidavit didn't appear to show that Trump refused to cooperate. And two, it doesn't seem to show how a federal law was or is being broken. Because of this, Brock said that probable cause arguments only deal with half of what's needed to show a possible violation of the federal statute cited in the warrant. Jessica Beatty, NTD News. Georgia Governor Brian Kemp will have to appear before a special grand jury, but not until after the upcoming election. The Republican is running for another term as governor of the Peach State. Kemp has been subpoenaed to testify in Fulton County's investigation into efforts to overturn Georgia's 2020 election results. 
He attempted to have the subpoena quashed, but the judge rejected the effort. The judge did say there will be a limit to the questions due to attorney-client privilege. He also recently upheld a subpoena on Trump campaign lawyer Kenneth Chesbro. And Pennsylvania is making a sudden change to voter registration just 11 weeks before the November midterms. You can now register to vote at the same time you request a mail-in ballot instead of doing the two separately. Here are the details. Pennsylvania combined the voter registration form with the mail-in ballot application on August 19. It's a small change, but it's causing headaches for county election directors and leaving voters with questions. Krista Miller is the election director of Lancaster County. She told the Epic Times, we use a voter registration application for one thing, we use a mail-in ballot application for something different. One has to be done before the other. Obviously, you have to be a voter in order to get a detailed ballot, so that has to be processed first. And then your mail-in ballot application can be processed. Here's the solution they've come up with. First, they register the person to vote using the top part of the form. Then they make a copy of the form to process the mail-in ballot portion later. The Pennsylvania Department of State says the goal of the change is to simplify the process for voters. Now they don't have to fill out two forms. But Miller says that voters are confused. They aren't sure if they're registering to vote or registering for mail-in voting. Miller says, we asked the state to wait until December. This is going to take voter education and explaining how the new form works. The Pennsylvania Department of State hasn't commented on the timing. And on the topic of voting, certain convicted felons in Mississippi can't do that. And a federal appeals court recently upheld that law. It restricts voting for the eight felonies listed in the state's constitution. The Mississippi Center for Justice challenged the law on behalf of two men who lost their right to vote after they were convicted of two of the felonies. Their attorney argued that the authors of the state constitution had a racist intent because the eight crimes on the list would more likely be committed by black people. He argued that the law should be ruled unconstitutional. However, attorneys representing the state of Mississippi said that the amendments over the years fixed any discriminatory aspect to the list. The court's majority opinion states that while the list from 1890 was motivated by a desire to discriminate, the plaintiffs failed to show that the current version is discriminatory. More from Mississippi, where residents are taking precautions ahead of projected flooding. The mayor of Jackson recalls lessons learned from 2020 floods and calls for residents to evacuate. We want residents to heed these warnings. This water can be around uh, longer than is expected, uh, and so we want them to over-prepare. And my landlord was concerned about flooding coming in, so she's just kind of being proactive to make sure we get everything out so there's no furniture damage or anything. The mayor is warning residents to get out of their homes. He said on CNN that they should leave as soon as possible. Heavy rain is causing the Pearl River to reach a water level that they can't manage. The floodwaters are not expected to rise to their 2020 flood levels, but will impact the same communities. Jackson's leader says people may have to leave their homes for up to two weeks. Some schools are shifting to virtual learning. The Mississippi governor declared a state of emergency while saying that the state is as prepared as possible and is monitoring the situation. Now we head to Indiana, where three Dutch commandos in the United States were shot outside their hotel in Indianapolis. One of the commandos reportedly died from his injuries. The men were in Indiana for training, and local police are investigating the incident. No arrests have been made. The shooting took place at 3.30 a.m. on Saturday. The soldiers were off duty at the time.
The Indianapolis Metropolitan Police Department was not immediately available for comment. A local police officer told Fox 59 it appeared an altercation took place earlier at a different location. That's before the shooting outside the Hampton Inn in downtown Indianapolis. A Pentagon spokesperson was asked who the commandos were training with and whether any U.S. personnel were involved in the incident. The spokesperson referred questions to local authorities, adding that the situation remains under investigation. Adding to the woes for airlines, customer complaints were up in June. According to Department of Transportation data released today, air travelers filed nearly 6,000 complaints in just one month. That's a 35% increase from the month before, and it seems that thousands of canceled flights are to blame. Weather was a major factor disrupting travel plans, but airline staff shortages and FAA ground stops also contributed to the cancellations. Last week, Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg sent a letter to airlines calling the summer disruptions unacceptable. It seems travelers agree. And coming up, Pakistan seeks relief from historic rains and flooding. At least 30 million people have been affected. And inspectors are finally headed to Europe's largest nuclear plant. It's been damaged by the war in Ukraine, and the U.N. is worried about safety. Stay tuned for more right here on NTD News. Welcome back. Does the shelling at Europe's largest nuclear plant pose a nuclear threat? Ukrainian staff are currently operating the plant under the orders of Russian forces, and they're finally letting UN inspectors in to assess the safety of the plant. The UN nuclear watchdog will inspect the Russian-held Zaporizhia nuclear power plant in Ukraine this week. The IAEA has been requesting access amid increased military activity and rising safety fears around what's Europe's largest nuclear plant. International Atomic Energy Agency chief Rafael Grossi announced the mission on Twitter on Monday. We must protect the safety and security of Ukraine and Europe's biggest nuclear facility, he said. Inspectors will assess damage around the facility from recent shelling and fires, which Russia and Ukraine have blamed on each other. Neither Grossi nor the IAEA specified when they'd arrive at Zaporizhia. Ukraine's energy ministry said it would not comment on the trip for security reasons. Ukrainian staff are continuing to operate the facility in southeastern Ukraine under the orders of Russian forces. On Friday, two of its six reactors were reconnected to the grid following shelling that caused the nuclear plant to be disconnected a day earlier for the first time in its history. The United Nations and Kyiv have called for a withdrawal of military equipment and personnel to ensure the Zaporizhia plant is not a target in the conflict. The IAEA tweeted separately that the mission would assess physical damage evaluate conditions for staff and, quote, determine the functionality of safety and security systems. A Russian diplomat said today that the country welcomes the International Atomic Energy Agency's upcoming mission to Zaporizhia nuclear power plant. That's according to a Russian state media report. A Russian official said the country understands the IAEA will leave several representatives at the nuclear plant on a permanent basis. He added that the mission consists of personnel who will deal with safeguards and nuclear safety issues, as well as a large team of U.N. staff dealing with logistics and security. 
Air France has suspended two pilots for fighting while in the air between Geneva and Paris. The pilots reportedly made inappropriate gestures to each other. A spokesman says the flight was able to continue safely to its destination. The story became public last week when a French-language newspaper accused Air France of larger structural issues. On a prior flight, a plane started leaking fuel but didn't follow the proper procedures to avoid further danger. French authorities say a fire was avoided only by chance and issued Air France a safety recommendation. Pakistan's foreign minister said the country needs financial relief amid devastating levels of flooding. This as authorities continue to rescue more stranded citizens over the weekend. Dramatic scenes on Sunday as Pakistan's army tried to rescue a boy trapped in the middle of a heavily flooded stream in the northwest of the country. Video footage shows the helicopter lowering cautiously down to the boy, who eventually climbs onto the aircraft with the help of the crew. He's just one of hundreds who have been rescued by Pakistan's military forces over the weekend, amid the historic monsoon rains and flooding that have battered the country over the past few weeks. Authorities said more than 1,000 people have died and at least 30 million affected. Satellite images show what the country's climate change minister has called a climate-induced humanitarian disaster of epic proportions. Pakistan's foreign minister, Bilal Bhutto Zadari, said his country needed financial help with the disproportionate impact from climate change. They're absolutely devastating. I haven't seen any, any uh, destruction or devastation of this scale. And the fact that Pakistan contributes negligible amounts to the overall uh, carbon footprint, but we do, uh, we are devastated by climate disasters such as these time and time again, and we have to adapt within our limited resources in whatever way we can uh, to, live, to this, live in this new environment. He also said Pakistan will launch an appeal this week to ask United Nations member states to contribute to relief efforts and added the country needed to look at how it would handle the longer-term impacts of climate change. Separately, the International Monetary Fund Board will decide this week on whether to release $1.2 billion as part of the seventh and eighth tranches of Pakistan's bailout program, which it entered in 2019. Bhutto Zadari said the board was expected to approve the release and hoped in coming months the IMF would recognize the impact of the floods. And still to come, fans are eager to see Serena Williams play in the U.S. Open. Some have been at the venue for a week, catching all their favorite players practicing. It's the first fan week since pandemic lockdowns. And NTD concludes its seventh traditional Chinese martial arts competition. It's an event open to contestants from around the world. Find out what the winners have to say after the break. Paleontologists are unearthing a fossilized dinosaur skeleton in Portugal. It measures over 80 feet long and could be one of the largest specimens ever found in Europe. Earlier this month, scientists from Portugal and Spain began digging up the bones. They appear to be the remains of a sauropod dinosaur. These animals were plant-eating and lived around 150 million years ago. They featured long necks and tails, making them one of the largest animals ever to have lived. The fossil remains were first noticed in 2017 in the garden of a house in central Portugal. The homeowner was digging up his garden to make way for an expansion project. He later informed the paleontologists in the coming months, the team will likely launch more excavations in and around the area.
A Mickey Mantle baseball card from 1952 sold for $12.6 million when extended bidding for the auction ended Sunday. It set a new record for sports cards. Several weeks of online bidding saw the card easily surpass the previous record of $7.25 million. That was set by a Honus Wagner baseball card earlier this month. The Mantle card was last sold in 1991 by a well-known card collector who called it the finest known example. The buyer back then purchased the card for $50,000, meaning Sunday's sale was over a 25,000% increase in value. The Mantle card also set a new record for all sports memorabilia. It passed this year's $9.3 million sale for Diego Maradona's jersey from the 1986 World Cup. The U.S. Open begins today. Serena Williams plays at 7 p.m. in what may be her last tournament. But the most loyal tennis fans already crowded around the courts during last week's Fan Week. And today's Andrew Thomas has the details. Tennis fans gathered in Flushing Meadows Corona Park in New York City to watch their favorite tennis players practice for the U.S. Open. Stacey Allister is the U.S. Open tournament director. She's excited about the return of Fan Week after pandemic lockdowns put the event on hold for the last two years. We had fans back for uh, the 2021 U.S. Open, but not during Fan Week. So this is uh, phenomenal. We're having more fans who've come than our record setting in 2019. And this is about making our sport accessible. Carlos Mary is attending the tournament with his two children. I appreciate all they do, man. It's, it's amazing, the athleticism, the skill involved, just the technique is fantastic. I mean, they're hitting it 120 miles an hour. It's, uh, it's not easy. All eyes will be on Serena Williams. She's indicated that she may retire from the sport following the U.S. Open. Williams has dominated the sport with 23 Grand Slam titles. She's been such an extraordinary gift to our sport for the past 25 years. She's transcended our sport, she's transformed our sport, and um, we're happy for her. You know, she's, this has a, a been a, a tough decision. Visitor Mark Steinberg also praised Williams and spoke about the impact she's made on the sport. I'm very, very sad that Serena's retiring. I think she was a huge value to the sport. Uh, not only from the point of view of being a great player, but in addition to that, for people of color, she was tremendously important. For the women's game in general, she changed the game. Steinberg says this is his 50th U.S. Open. This is my 50th U.S. Open. I've been coming to the U.S. Open uh, since 1973, and my experience with the Open goes all the way back to the Westside Tennis Club, which is just a few miles over my left shoulder, also here in Queens, New York. Uh, the Westside Tennis Club, of course, was the site of many, many classic matches. In the men's tournament, star Novak Djokovic won't be competing in the U.S. Open. He's unvaccinated and can't enter the country. This 2022 U.S. Open without Novak is sad. Uh, there's no denying it. He is arguably the best in history. The Open runs from August 29th through September 11th. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. NTD held its seventh traditional Chinese martial arts competition in New York on Sunday. Dozens of participants from around the world showcased their kung fu skills. Let's take a look. The 7th NTD International Traditional Chinese Martial Arts Competition took place over three days and concluded on Sunday in Middletown, New York. 
48 competitors from around the world took part in seven categories. One of them is a father and son duo from Colombia, who both won silver. We wake up at 3 in the morning and begin practicing martial arts from 4 a.m. to 7 a.m. It's been this way pretty much since I was born. We pay a lot of attention to our spiritual cultivation. That's why we've been able to do martial arts well, because our spirit and body are one. Another silver medalist is Lin Chi Xun from Taiwan, who participated in the Southern Fist category. A competition like this one makes us confident that we are traveling in the right direction and that we are willing to keep trying our best and pass on this martial art. The competition aims to revive traditional Chinese martial arts and display their true value to the world. Chris Chappell, the host of China Uncensored, also participated as a contestant, a fan of traditional Chinese culture. He's been learning martial arts since a young age. Chappell won the Award of Excellence this year and shared the biggest lesson he learned about traditional martial arts. The biggest lesson I've learned from particularly Chinese-style traditional martial arts is uh, they have a saying in ancient China, you know, the soft overcomes the hard. I think you've probably heard of it. Um, and I think a lot of times in life we learn that, like, you know, anger or rage, those are, you know, a type of strength that we can use to, like, get through hard times. But it's a very dangerous emotion because then that can turn on people closest to you, family, friends. But in Chinese martial arts, you learn that strength can come through tranquility and peace. And that's a much bigger, broader form of strength. The competition has four award categories, gold, silver, bronze, and excellent. This year, 25 competitors won bronze, nine won silver, but no one qualified for gold. We've had this kind of situation in every past competition. If the folks don't meet the standard for gold, we leave the medals unawarded. This would also encourage the folks. If they come back in future competitions and show improvement, that spot is open for them. The judge says it's unfortunate that no one qualified for gold this year, but that he hopes they will be able to hand out the golden award next year. The traditional Chinese martial arts competition is a part of a series of international culture and arts events organized by NTD. A performance in Bogota, Colombia set the world record for the largest concert ever. It took place in the heart of the city. Bogota's Philharmonic Orchestra brought together around 16,000 musicians, singers, and children's choirs for the performance. It featured Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, among other pieces. One famous song performed was Latino America. It's known throughout Latin America for its lyrics criticizing social and political issues. The event was held to celebrate Columbia's Truth Commission and their final report, which was released in June. The commission was established as part of a 2016 peace deal between the government and the Revolutionary Armed Forces of Colombia. Those are Marxist rebels formerly labeled as a terrorist group by the U.S. It's now demobilized after almost 60 years of conflict. According to the report, from 1985 to 2018, over 450,000 people were killed and over 7.7 million people were displaced. That's all for today's program. We're really glad to have you with us. Please send us an email if you'd like to tell us something. We're going to put it on screen. For podcasters, that's news.today at ntd.com. I'm Kevin Hogan, NTD News, New York City. Mm-hmm.